0: The Timeless Podcast
1: Company present this podcast in immersive
2: sound design. This is MC Search and I'd like to welcome you to the Timeless Podcast Company's first season of Did I Ever Tell You The One About Podcast. The only time you'll hear my narration is when it's absolutely necessary, like introducing other members of Kane's family and friends, people that need to push the story along. Other than that, this entire season will be told in Big Daddy Kane's voice, him alone sharing his stories, his experiences, on his rise to being one of the greatest MCs of our generation. I've loved Big Daddy Kane as an artist and as a human being since 1986 when I first heard him rhyming in R.B. Square Mall as just a young MC running the five boroughs. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce the Did I Ever Tell You the One About podcast, season one. Did I Ever Tell You the One About Big Daddy Kane?
0: Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Big Daddy Kane. And I want to welcome you all to the Did I Ever Tell You the One About podcast, because season one is all about me. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So let's begin talking about growing up in Brooklyn. Growing up in Brooklyn, man, I I just remember going to like the block parties in the 70s, you know, where uh, the kids would have the Johnny Pump, you know, fire hydrant for those that don't know who I'm talking about, but have the Johnny Pump running and the girls be out there in their plastic jellies, you know, with their arm tube tops on and the guys, we'd be out there in our pro kid sneakers with the fat laces and the Tigra shirts and things of that nature and uh, I mean it was a great time you know watching the DJs play and um, everybody out there doing the spank and the rock and whatever dances was out at that time period and when the DJ would play certain so there was like certain Brooklyn anthems like Samande song bra, I'm CJ and company, we got our own thing And the main Brooklyn anthem was for mother, father, sister, brother. Love is the message. That was the Brooklyn anthem where when that played, you would see so many cats get in line to rhyme. And it would be funny because so many people had the same rhyme. They may have a different twist, but it'd be the same rhyme. Everybody was at the The age age of one. one.
1: I was having fun. The age of two, I was doing the do. The age of three, it was all about me. Age of four, I was getting it (laughs) on. yeah, boy. I remember that one. I'm gonna come up rhymes.
0: Or the one about the two dead boys got up to fight. One was blind, the other could see. They chose a deaf man, the referee, you know, but everybody was telling the same rhymes back then, you know, in in, in like, you know, the uh, mid to late 70s. And I was a little shorty just watching and experiencing these first elements of hip hop and just mesmerized by it, like, wow, you know, like, they playing all this here funky stuff and people just having a good time partying and cats is rhyming and it, it was just amazing.
2: One of the guys back in the park during those days was Disco Richie of Divine Sounds.
1: Back in the park days, man, everybody wanted to get on the mic, man. Everybody wants some love, man. So they would see we set up early. They'll come out there, yo, man, yo, Disco, give me, let me get some of the mic. So I'll show love to everybody, give a piece of the mic. That's how we all got a little name for ourselves in the hood.
0: And also on those days when you go to the corner store and see somebody walk by with a big boombox on their shoulder, you know, blasting something um, from some master mix. But it, it was just amazing. You know, these were just amazing times and a great introduction into what was going to become you know, with, with this thing that we call hip-hop.
1: In that body, man.
0: Another interesting thing about that time period is like when we had these park jams, because I remember stories being told about in the early beginning stages of how cats would hook their turntables up to the light posts to get power. See, um, that was a little before my time, like, when in the mid-70s, what I remember was cats would have their turntables in someone's brownstone, in the front of someone's brownstone. But there was always some lady on that block that, you know, throw a little something. Don't gotta be much, be the tools and fuse. But she be cool with that because she already got her plan together. Because she know that while you out there DJing in the front of her house, oh yeah, she's setting up shop in the kitchen and she gonna sell some chicken and things and sell some hot dogs and things out of her house and you know make her a little side hustle while you DJing. And you would be plugged in through her system. So, you know, over there by the DJ booth, it was always smelling like fried chicken or some Oscar Mayer hot dogs and whatnot, you know, because that was going on. And then, you know, of course, um the ice Ice cream truck you know would stop at the end of the block we know where it's barricaded at you know you could hardly hear it with the music booming but you know you, you know you know, on a hot summer day you know that ice cream and those icies are coming so you know you could run on down there get you a chocolate clear or a strawberry shortcake or whatever you know your, your your flavor was and you know it was just a beautiful thing growing up in brooklyn with my family was something that was so important to me because A lot of my friends on the block, you know, um, they didn't really have both parents in their home. And I was fortunate enough to have my mother and father there, you know, for the whole duration. And, you know, it was just me and my little brother. You know, we were only two. But, um, you know, our parents were there. And um, like my mother and father, both of them were very, very strict. I mean, I remember many times of having to lie and say I'm going to spend the night at my grandmother's house or I'm going to spend the night at my boy Steve's house just to be able to sneak out to go to parties, you know, because my parents, you know, yeah, they didn't play, they were very, very strict.
2: The person you're about to hear from next is Shane, Big Daddy Kane's kid brother. My parents um, were super
3: strict around that time because, you know, so much bad stuff going on outside. So they kept us in the house, you know, well, try to keep me in the house as much as possible and it worked, him, not so much. You know, he got out there way more than I did because of that seven year gap. So, you know, he was out there, heavy.
0: But very lenient at times as well, because um, diagonally across the street lived Divine Sounds, um, Disco Richie and Mike Music. And my mother would let me go to jams with them. She knew that they were adults. She was cool with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was nice, because he was crossing the street. he would always see us packing the stuff inside the van, and he would come across the street, keep him out of trouble, right? You know, he said, yo, what you wanna do? I said, yeah, well, go in there and get a speaker. Let's pack it in the speaker, you can ride. He would ride with us. Sometimes we have parties out here in Long Island. It was the great times we had coming up, man. My little brother came, man.
0: So, I mean, they were real cool, but I mean, I think one of the, the great things was like, just learning from them because they both hustled so hard. Like, I remember my mother working in Sloan supermarket while she was taking her nursing exams before she became an RN, a registered nurse. And then, you know, from that point, she started working as a nurse and my father was a truck driver. And even times when, when it got slow, my pops was the type that would go out and, Sell shoes because my pops was one of those dressers that like to wear gaiters and snake skins. But the dude that he was buying them from, he would get about, you know, 10 peers from him and go sell them for a higher price in different areas in the hood, you know, to make extra money. So, I mean, you know, I, I learned a lot of hustle from my parents because they was really about it like that and they worked great together. You know, they argued all the time, <laughs> but they worked great together, though, man. Yeah. And I, I, I love my parents dearly. My parents were strict, not because of religion, or anything like that. They were strict just because of their upbringing, the way they were brought up by their parents, you know, because uh, both of their parents are from the South. Um, My grandmother on my mother's side is from Alcaloo, South Carolina. Uh, My grandparents on my father's side are from Bowman, South Carolina. My father himself is from Bowman, South Carolina. My mother's born in Brooklyn, but um, they come from a strict, strict upbringing. So what was instilled into them, they passed down. My father told me a lot of stories about his past. One of the ones that I found amazing was, you know, his reason for leaving the South, you know, which was, you know, he was driving a school bus. And apparently, um, when he was supposed to get paid, his boss didn't want to pay him for some reason, you know, that really wasn't my father's fault, but decided not to pay my father. And my father felt that this was money he deserved. So, you know, he um, broke into the base there where they kept the buses or whatever and stole his pay. But he he didn't take the whole register. He only took what he was owed. He took that, and his mother felt like they were going to hang him and kill him if they caught him. So she put him on a Greyhound and sent him to New York. And I mean, you know, I thought that that was one of those interesting stories where it's like, you know, in my lifetime, even though I have problems and even though I face racial discrimination, I have to still be thankful for where I am today, you know. Now with my family, we always had a real tight knit. You know, just the four of us—me and my brother, my moms, and my pops. And like with my brother, he's seven years younger than me. So you know, when he came along, you know, um, I was pretty much, you know, in a different place. You know, like as he was starting to learned to play with toys, I was, you know, beginning to stop thinking about toys. I was moving on to girls at that point in time, you know, but um, still in all, we always had a close bond, you know, where I felt like, you know, I got to look out for little bro.
3: We all went to the same public school. There was a bunch of bullies in school, of course, or whatever, you know, me being light skinned had like jerry curls going on. Kids used to tease me. So I'd be like, I'm going to get my brother. And I'd go get him. And sure enough, he will beat about four or five kids up for me. That's like my earliest memory of me like getting picked on and going to get my brother and, you know, him coming to regulate the kids, like leave my brother alone. It's going to happen all the time if y'all keep messing with my brother. So they eventually stopped messing with me, but he always, you know, put that hook around me and, you know,
0: made sure I was all right. He, he's one of the truest people I know when it comes to my career and my life. You know, like my little brother is someone that I can always, you know, depend on when I want to talk, you know? Like, yeah, that's, that's my heart. The elementary school I went to was PS 287. It was located um, right near Fort Greene and Farragut Projects. I want to say it starts around fourth grade when um, I started really understanding you know, the streets a little and um, watching the way people move and operate. And um, there was a guy named Big Man that worked in a grocery store called K-Food. Not key food, K-Food. And um, uh, he worked in there and he had a crush on one of my older cousins. So in the morning I could go in there and he give me a tall can of slits mold Liquor Bull. And this is fourth grade, mind you. I'm going to class with a can of slits mold Liquor Bull in my book bag. And lunch period come, and me and my boys, um, it was a brother named Corey Robinson and Charles Weathers, if I'm correct. Yeah, we sitting there with a can of hot Slit Smolted Liquor Bull in the corner of the baseball field. Um, like, cause we, we had our playground, but if you can go up these here steps where the boys club was, where there's a baseball field, and we'd be sitting in that corner, passing around a hot can a slits small liquor bowl to come back after lunch period with the worst headache ever known to mankind, sitting there trying to, you know, decipher lessons and things like that, man. And, oh man, it used to be so crazy, but, you know, it was good times, man. It was good times. And then also, you know, there was a truck that used to sell candy. And we would sneak through the fence sometimes and dash over to the truck and just load up on Alexander the Grape, Sherry Chan, the Green Laffy Taffies, the Reggie Candy Bar. Yeah, yeah. Reggie Jackson had a candy bar, that's right. Um, Yeah, we would load up on these candies and just come back, like we just struck gold, you know know what I'm saying, or hit the lottery or something. The smallest things like that, man, just made life just so complete (laughs) in elementary school, man, you know? It it was just a beautiful time, you know? And then like um, moving on, like going to junior high school, I remember like um, me and my boys, Lee Rivers, um my man drip and uh, my man norm rest in peace witch doctor and cliff love yeah because we go either go to lee crib or cliff love crib and watch kung fu flicks um because lee used to have a collection and we would go and watch all the Kung Fu flicks at his crib and you know, be talking about the styles and who could beat who, like nah, Priest Pie may can't mess with Ghostface Killer, you crazy. You know, like you know, those type of conversations and stuff, man. And this is what we was doing. And um, that's when I really um, first got introduced, you know, to the 5% Nation.
2: Big Daddy Kane's little brother Shane found out this way.
3: You know, I guess when you're out there and you're in the street and you're doing whatever, you know, some people will say that's like an uncivilized, you know, thing to do. Like, you kind of living like a savage and, you know, you're doing all this crazy stuff. So, you know, him being, like I said, half, like one foot in the street on like that type of stuff that he was into, I guess, when he became righteous, he left all that alone. I remember one incident on Saturday. I'm sitting there, three o'clock on Saturday, Kung Fu movies come on Channel 5. So I'm in there watching Kung Fu movie eating some spare rib tips. I'm about maybe 10. He comes in, I'm eating the spare rib tips, I'm tearing them up. He's like, he gives it, he give me a look. He's like, what is that? I'm like, this is spare rib tips. He's like, a swine. You're a fucked up individual. I'm like, I'm 10. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a fucked up individual. Like I thought you loved me, man. Like I'm I'm ten years old. That's how you tell me to stop eating pork?
0: That was um seventh grade, I believe, if I'm correct. You know, when I first got introduced, man, and um brother named Divine was um dropping jewels to me and um that's what turned me on to it. And this was like seventh grade because another thing we used to do is me divine my man, A.B. Money, Understanding, and another brother named Tweety. We used to take the train. Sometimes we cut school and take the train to the Deuce to go watch Kung Fu Flicks. And it got to the point where we were so cool. There was a theater called the Descend 42, and there was this little tiny store next to it.
2: A.B. Money of the rap group Rapping is Fundamental.
4: We would go in there and put the 40s or the courts, two on each side of the goose down. I don't know how they never caught us because we would go in there looking skinny and come out looking
0: fat. We could go in there and as long as we bought beers, he would hold our books. We could take our books out of our book bag and give them to him, he'd hold our books. And we load our book bags up with Old English and what we used as a chaser back then was another malt liquor called Cool Mule. It went out of business, back, but yeah, we would drink the O-E and then chase it down with some Cool Mule, which kind of tastes like O.E. mixed with pink champagne. we had that in our book bags when we go in the theater and watch three kung fu flicks back to back. And then we get on that last cart on the A train coming back to Brooklyn and, you know, yeah, you're going to have to try my tiger technique and whatnot. You know, yeah, we getting it on.
4: Because we was the type of niggas that you'll be walking down the street and you'll get a kung fu kick in your head or
0: some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ever got kicked in the back on 42nd Street? It probably was King. Hip-hop, when I made my real introduction, well, well, let me just say this first. In 1980, I started as a DJ. I was calling myself Sir Romeo. And I had turntables and it was my man, Stevie B, AKA Smokey. And I was writing rhymes for my cousin, Nikki B. Because she was rhyming, but I was writing her rhymes. But I wasn't rapping, I was just DJing. And
2: it was me and Steve, and we was trying to be DJs in 1980. Big Daddy Kane's friend Steve now shares with us how he went from being a DJ to an MC.
5: I wanted to be an MC. He wanted to be a DJ, you know. And he had got some equipment for his uh, birthday. You know, um, he got some equipment down at B Street. And, uh, you know, we used to be on the turntables and he'd be scratching and I'd be trying to rhyme and stuff like that, and we had our own little crew that I used to try to write for. And at that time, he was keeping his equipment at his, uh, at his aunt's house, because his aunt and his grandmother lived next door to each other.
0: But then someone broke into my grandmother's house and stole my turntables.
5: You know, he, he was heartbroken, man. He, you know, two turntables, a Gemini mixer, um, was hard to come by, you know, at that age and at that time. So I think what what happened was I think that kind of birthed his, his MC career. So that kind of
0: put my DJ career to a halt. And I'm not mad at that because in 82... Um, when my cousin Murdoch started rapping, he was the older cousin that I looked up to. And when I mentioned those jams in the seventies, if he was wondering how I was able to even be at these outside block parties. But the reason why I was there is because I was with my older cousin Murdoch. My mother would trust me being with him. But when Murdoch started rapping, I wanted to rap just cause he was doing it, but he said I was too young and he was rapping with these other two dudes from around the corner from me. So I started writing battle rhymes. I wrote battle rhymes just so that I can get down with my cousin Murdoch. I said, if I can beat Owen and I can beat Spence, which is the two dudes that he was with, I said, if I can beat them, he'll put me down in his crew. So I wrote a bunch of battle rhymes, asked Spence to battle, I beat him in a battle, I asked Owen to battle, he said I didn't want it, walked away, and I walked behind him. Just spitting battle rhymes down the street at my, <laughs> at my man Oh. Yeah, you're yeah, just spitting battle rhymes at him while he walking away. And um everybody on the block was like, yo, yo, your cuz is nice, man. Yo, your cuz is nice. And I talked to Murdoch, I'm like, yeah, man, yo, man, I, I'm better than ON Spence, man. You should put me down. And he was like, man, I ain't thinking about that rap shit no more. I'm playing football now. So that was that, you know. So, but Everybody was telling me I was good at it, so I just stuck with it and kept going different places, you know, Bushwick Projects, Brevoy Projects, Marcy Projects, White Corp Projects, Guanas, anywhere, battling different, Red Hook, wherever. I was going anywhere, battling different rappers. AB Money. Kane was a lyrical dude, man. I was the dude that took Kane all around to battle
4: everybody, because I was a battle pop locker. Back in the day, so I was into the battle. So I would take Kane to Bush with projects, I would take Kane to certain parts of Brownsville to be rapping. I was always had
0: Kane in battles. Even at um at the block parties, you know, if they had like LG Day, Roosevelt Day, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to the block parties and battling different
5: rappers there, even at house parties. Kane's friend, Steve. Man, he used to always hit me up like, yo, let's go. You know, I got a battle over here. Let's go to Lafayette Gardens, you know, and everything was like on foot. So we used to, we used to walk to Lafayette Gardens. You know, we used to walk to Roosevelt projects, you know, um, all over brooklyn man he would carry a knapsack he have his pen in his his pad he have his mic just in case kane's friend cliff love and they would all be in the park like in any other neighborhood and they just be rocking just really getting busy taking it to the next level and everybody had their ROM books with them and it just became a fly sport it was like their ROM books were like their graffiti books they would pull them on books out and it was liquid swords coming out their mouths. And my homeboy Kane is is one of the cats in the forefront, but everybody's nice though. So it just made him stay up on his game because A B money was not a joke. Understanding was not a joke. It was serious early on. Matter of fact,
0: um I'm pretty sure that um search remembers the Mighty Mike Masters, there was a brother in their crew called Easy LP. Easy LP, me and this brother stood out on the corner in the rain, pouring rain, on the corner of Lewis and Lexington one night, battling in pouring rain. So, yeah, it was real for me with that battle rap stuff. You know, I mean, it got to the point where in high school, I could be in class doing my classwork, and someone come to the door and just tap on the door, and all they had to do was go like this. That meant that there was someone outside that came from another school to battle me, because people would come from Western House, Eastern District, Brooklyn Tech, but um, people was coming from different schools, coming up to Sarah J. Hill, They was coming there to battle me. Yo, we heard about this dude here that's been, yeah. And of course, you know, I wanted all the smoke, so it was like, yeah, I'm him, let's go. Just get in the business, and that's how I really gained street recognition in Brooklyn. I remember one of my old rhymes from back then, I wanna say it was a rhyme that I wrote in 82 when I very first started. And I thought that I was killing it. And the rhyme went, I'm the T-O-N-Y, the T-E-E. Your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see because I know the tricks and I know the trades and I'm sharp as a motherfucking razor blade. That was one of the rhymes I had in 82. And I thought I was killing it with the rhyme. And then my man, Swan, not TJ Swan from with Biz. This was a dude that I went to Park West High School with him before I went to Sarah J. And um, Swan was like, yo, you ever heard the Cold Crush? I'm like, yeah, it's us, you know, it's uh." He's like, nah, have you ever heard them rhyme individually? And I'm like, nah. Then he played this tape and I heard Grandmaster Kaz, you know, talk about I'm 6'1 and a half, no good at math, say Say rhymes rhymes to myself myself when when I'm I'm taking a bath. bath.
4: Got juice clientele, pull and clout, and I don't get into nothing that I can't get out. I play ball, sing, draw, write rhymes and dance. On top of that, get an A in the art of romance. I don't like to fight, but throw joints with the best. That's just a little something, now here's the rest. A lot of people talk about me all night and day, like when I'm incognito. I can hear them all say, he think he's so cool, like his game is legit. Cause I'm the kind of guy girls want to be with. Well, it ain't my fault, I don't mean no harm I got the things girls like, personality, charm I'm not cute, fine, not scared to admit it, just good looking Now tell me, can you deal with it? Woo!
0: And then this joint, he said Grandmaster Caz, captain of the four. Another nigga couldn't touch me if he had a rhyme store. Even if he had a plant manufacturing rhymes, he couldn't make them no better than I make mine.
4: Now four kiss after this, I promise that if you insist, i put you on my list. I got a crew known to you. Before I'm through, I'm going to introduce all of them to you. When I was writing the rhymes that Kane described, those are some of what I call classics. You know what I mean? I'm pretty nice with the pen, but every now and then, every other joint is a gem, it's a classic, you know what I mean? And that's what those are. I just try to go above and beyond what other people are doing. When I get the mic, when it's time, when it might come to me, I'm going to do I'm gonna go way beyond everybody that passed me that mic. I'm going to be
0: them plus me. And I was like, yeah, everything I'm doing in life is wrong. And I ripped my entire rap book up. I ripped my entire rap book up and started every rhyme over. Like I was like, I'll never be nice. Like listen to this dude here. And then, you know, I'm writing new rhymes and then when I'm studying Kaz, I heard him say this other rhyme where he was like, "Um, steal the feel, feel and make sure, sure it's real. And
4: if, if you go and get your brother, brother I won't, won't peel. Just, just crash and bash and get cold cash, crash, smoke hash in a flash. But
0: I don't stash, just dress my best mess, and request my guests mess, mess, not to mess with the possess, sense that I possess. to Take a toke of to smoke, but I won't choke. Not sniffing coke for being broke, to me is a joke. And I was like, oh my, and keep in mind, this is all like 1982. So that's when I was just like, okay, Kaz was pretty much the teacher, and I was the student.
4: I He says it all right there. Uh, He kind of validates me, especially the other people. If you don't know Grandmaster Kaz, you never heard of Grandmaster Kaz. You don't go that far back, but you go far enough to know Big Daddy Kane, he makes sure that you know who Grandmaster Kaz is. When Big Daddy Kane succeeds, I succeed, okay, and I love him for
0: that. Yeah, and that's when I really started understanding as a youth when I was standing in front of the pool hall or the barber shop, waiting for the players to pull up in their deuce in the quarter or pull up in their elder bottles hoping they give me a five dollar bill just to get them a Lucy cigarette from the store tell me to keep the change I listen to them talk you know and hearing all the slick stuff that they saying you know you know like oh man you ain't saying nothing slick to a cannonball man you know come on man you know you, you know what I'm saying you know hearing them say something like, you know, like listen to them talk and rhyme for me. and I'm taking all that in you know. Same thing with Kaz, man. I'm sitting there studying this dude like, you know, like, yeah, this dude is amazing. Like, if I'm ever going to be dope, I got to be on this man's level. So in the early 80s, as I'm getting into hip hop, I was really just doing it for the sake of battle rapping and trying to prove supremacy. You know, I'm the greatest rapper in Brooklyn. You know, that was really the main goal at that point in time. I honestly didn't really have a recording idea in mind, like, you know, a career in mind. But then down the line, I did actually try to record a song. Someone said they had a hookup for uh, Motown Records. So I remember writing this song where I was mentioning all the Motown artists, I remember saying stuff like, you know, um, more Supreme than Diana, um, more miracles than Smokey, and um, I was saying all this stuff, you know, just naming all the artists that were on Motown, and you know, yada yada, and you know, I didn't get nothing back, but you know, I was a kid then, I didn't know that when you mail a demo in, you know, they don't really check that mail, you know, you really gotta get a song in an A&R's hands, you know, something you mail and that's just sitting in a bag with a boy. I didn't know that then. I just thought that they didn't want me. So I was like, forget making a record. So at that point in time, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I wasn't from, I mean, I lived in the hood, you know, I lived on Lewis Avenue between Lafayette and Van Buren, but my mother and father were both working. So me and my brother didn't really have to go without. It's just that we got it when our parents gave it to us. So at a point in time where everybody might be outside in you know they sheepskin in October, late October, you know my parents might say I'm gonna get you one for Christmas. So that means I gotta wait two more months. And you know you know my little impatient ass ain't want to wait. You know. So I mean um, with the cats that I was running with at that time in the mid '80s and um, Sarah J Hill, you know lots of times yeah 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 you know we would you know go and you know relieve someone of their sheepskin or their bomber or something like that, you know? And, um, you know, these was the cast that I was running with. And then eventually uh, I got cool with another brother up the block. You know, I ain't gonna say no names, but um, it, it became the thing. We all meeting in front of Orange Julius inside the Albee Square Mall. And we'd ride to, I think, about 34th Street. And then from 34th Street, just work our way up to, like, the deuce and then get back on the train and go back to Brooklyn. And it was crazy how it was done because cash would be sectioned off. It was like everybody on the train together, but you know, the East New York cash would go that way, the Brownsville cash go that way, Bed-Stuy cats go that way, Fort Greene cash go that way. And you know, we was all out there doing whatever it was that we did, you know, back then, many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> you know, and, um, yeah, man. You know, I mean, it's it, it it was nothing that I was proud of. Matter of fact, I remember the greatest moment, and I, I this brother I will mention his name for this specific reason. One day in Midtown, we had caught a Vic, and this brother named Jay Bourne said to me, "Why you out here?" And I'm like, "Get this money. What you talking about?" He like, "Yo, man." Your parents together, man. I done seen both of them come to the school, you know? Why are you out here? I'm like, I don't, what you talking about? He like, all right, I tell you what, man. Why did you look back just now? And um, to keep you up to speed, basically what happened was the person that got caught was this older white man. And you know, he had got punched in the face. And I was like, you know, I don't know why. Like when he asked me why I looked back, I'm like, and he was like, you looked back because you was worried whether he was okay. See, I don't give a fuck if he okay or not. You need to go back, man. Yo, you dope with that music stuff, man. That's what you need to be doing, man. You don't even need to be out here with us. And that's what my man, Jay Bourne, said to me.
2: In creating this podcast, we wound up hearing from Big Daddy Kane that his biggest influence in hip-hop was Grandmaster Kaz. And he started to recite some of those Park Jam lyrics that he heard from Kaz on a cassette tape when he was just 14 years old. We at the Thomas Podcast Company, and Big Daddy Kane thought it was appropriate that we convert those party jam rhymes into a song so that it can be forever memorialized. And those that were not able to be part of those park jams could hear them for now and forever. So with the help of Brett Epic Mazer on production with Scratches by DJ Eclipse and DJ Rick One, I am proud to present to you an exclusive courtesy of the Thomas Podcast Company, Grandmaster Kaz, the baddest,
4: One and a half, no good at math I say rhymes to myself when I'm taking a bath I got juice, clientele, pull and clout And I don't get into nothing that I can't get out Play ball, sing, draw, write rhymes and dance On top of that, get a A in the heart of romance Don't like to fight, throw Joyce with the best That's just a little something, now here's the rest A lot of people talk about me, night and day When I'm incognito, I hear them all say. want to be with it, well it ain't my fault, I don't mean no harm, I got the things girls like, personality charm, not cute or fine, not scared to admit but damn good looking, tell me
2: can I you keep, deal I with it, I <laughs> keep the crowd loud when you're hot, do not damage on stage and mic. I keep the crowd loud when you're hot, don't ask who the baddest,
4: Grandmaster can you on hold just like a OJ or steal a feel and make sure it's real and if you go and get your brother baby I won't peel crash and mash and get cold cash smoke hash in a flash but I don't stash and dress my best and request my guests not to mess with the cess that I possess take a tote of the smoke but I do sniffing coke or being broke, to me is a joke. spinning G's as I please, loving all the ladies. Got the car and the keys for my main squeeze. For a kiss after this, I promise. And if you insist, I'll put you on my list. I got a crew known to you. Before I'm through, I'll introduce all of them to you. I keep the crowd loud with you. You do damage on stage, you engine I keep the crowd loud with you. Don't ask you the baddest. Grandmaster Cash. Oh. This. Chasing the place with the bass and grace, keeping pace in the race to face first place. Told not alone, he has shown to be known and prone to make the girls his own. The JDL, rock and JDL, well. and time will tell if under his spell. This way you fell with my supreme on our team. It was seen like a cup of coffee without the cream. KG on my teeth, rough MC. Rocking endlessly and very thoroughly in this crew outfit. Admit legit that I couldn't be with a better outfit than the four. With the
2: rhymes galore, knocking at your door with much more in store. The did I ever tell you the one good. about podcast? Did I ever tell you the one about Big Daddy Kane? It's a timeless podcast production, executive produced by Chantel Barron and MC Search for Four MC Multimedia and the Timeless Podcast Company. Co-executive produced by Eric DJ Eclipse Win for Pay to Win Management. Co-produced by Antonio Hardy and Saquon Johnson. Okay. Story contributors were AB Money, Chris Rock, Cliff Love, Disco Richie, courtesy of okay. Divine Sounds, DJ Mr. C, Drip, Grandmaster Kaz, Lionel the Big Kid Martin, Little Daddy Shane, Master Ace, Ralph McDaniels, Steve Brown. Vaughn Lee, professionally known as Cudmaster Cool V, appears courtesy of BT Entertainment, Hip Hop Hands Foundation, and DJCoolV.com. Lead Sound Designer Brett Epic Associate Sound Design Patrick Garcia. Timeless Podcast Immersive Sound Design Voiceover by Tembisa Mashaka. An additional voiceover by Special Guest Kim Osario.